0: As you know, we've been doing these weekly challenges where by by the people's demands, you've wanted there to be announced a winner every time. You said, at first I was like, oh no, should we announce winner? And you were like, no, we we need a winner at these weekly challenges. So I graciously self-appointed myself as the impartial, unbiased judge of the weekly challenges. Every single week, I go up and impartially look at it and say, this is hands down definitely the winner of the weekly challenge. And we also had a seasonal challenge, which was pumpkin carving. And I want to announce to you the winner right now. The winner of that seasonal challenge is as the impartial, unbiased judge is Rebecca Garrett. She is the winner. Um, This was unanimously decided by myself, the impartial and and fair judge. She didn't post a video, but uh, (laughs) she wins. Now, you know that you see the irony of what I'm saying of Nathan being the impartial, fair, unbiased judge, but at the same time, hmm, why did you pick Becca to be the winner of the weekly challenge? That doesn't make sense. It'd be like if at Revival, all of a sudden, Becca's team won. It'd be like, oh, huh, why did, why did, was, were gorillas really the best team at Revival? Or do you just pick it because Becca was on the team? Is there some bias or favoritism being done there? And you'd probably be right. You'd be like, okay, yeah, Nathan probably wasn't the most biased or or unbiased individual. He probably showed some special favoritism towards Beck. You'd be accurate in saying that. Well, you see, when we, when our hearts are changed by Christ, if you're someone who repents of your sin and puts your trust in Christ, you are given a new heart and new desires. And part of this new lifestyle is living a life that isn't characterized by favoritism. Living a life that isn't characterized by showing special bias towards certain individuals and then treating others with contempt and disregard. Rather, it's saying, hey, no, I care about other people. I'm not going to treat people differently based off of these external or outside circumstances or characteristics about them. And this was a problem, this issue of favoritism of the church in the first century. James, in the passage that we're going to look at today, you can turn to, in James chapter 2, he's writing to these believers who are struggling with this problem called favoritism or as as it's used in the text in verse 1 partiality showing special treatment to some people and looking down upon others and James reminds them that hey if you are someone who is right with God you are someone who has this genuine faith that faith is meant to be lived out that's a, that's the title of this new sermon series faith in action our faith is not supposed to just merely be mental knowledge, but it's meant to impact and direct how we live. And one of those ways in how we live is by not being partial, not showing partiality, and not showing favoritism towards certain individuals. So let's look at James chapter two. Let's see the problem that takes place in the first century church, and I think a problem that takes place here in the narrow as well, showing favoritism and partiality. So let's learn and see the correction given in James chapter two. It says this, James two, verse one. It says, my brothers, show no partiality. Right there. If you wanted the main idea of today's passage, my brothers, show no partiality. Don't show special treatment. Don't show favoritism. Show no partiality. It says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Saying, hey, you say you have this faith, you hold this trust in Jesus Christ. Well, don't also have this heart that is partial and shows special treatment towards other people. Don't say, oh, these people are special and these people, we look down on them. Faith in Christ and partiality cannot coincide at the same time. It's like mixing oil and water together. They don't go together. It doesn't come together. So too, a partial heart and faith in Christ. Don't be partial. Now we're given an example here in verse 2. It says this, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So picture this, the first century church, two new people walk into the church. One of them described wearing a gold ring, fine clothing. This is a rich individual in the first century, got a lot of money. It'd be like if someone walked into the Nara and they're wearing, you know, their, their Gucci clothes and their nice Yeezys, not the knockoff ones at Walmart. Like, it's, like, oh, all that stuff. it's like, oh man, that person's got some money. Like, Wow, look at that person. Uh, The idea here of fine clothing is like bright, gleaming, like really good clothing. Wow, that person's got a lot of money. Other person, poor man, described here, shabby clothing. It's like filthy, dirty, vile, disgusting clothing. It's like, yeah, okay, clearly that person's aptly described poor. Doesn't have very much. So those two people, they're walking to this first century church. And look at, look at what happens. Verse three, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Saying, hey, you're showing partiality if that nice rich person walks in wearing nice clothing and you say, hey, you know where you should sit? Here come to the front. Here, we're not going to even put you, say, like on these like wire metal ch- metal chairs. We're going to get that cushiony chair over there. Here, here, a nice rich person here. Sit right there. Everything good? You, you want some water? Can we get you anything? It's like showing some special treatment toward this person. Whereas the poor person, they say, oh yeah, not even sit down. Yeah, just stand over there. Yeah, just stand in the back. Or even this, you sit down at my feet. This is Uh, translated elsewhere, like sit down at my footstool, footstool, a place like say when you're sitting on the couch, you got that thing in the middle that you like lean up and put your feet on. It's like, yeah, go sit at the place where we put our feet. Think about that. Talk about disrespectful. Like, yeah, go where our feet are. Sit here on the ground or stand over there in the back. So two different ways of treating two people that walk into the church and the difference in treatment is based upon what they look like. Verse 5 says this: Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? It's like, hey, think about it. Does God look down on those who don't have a lot of money? Does he not care about the poor? It's like, no. Oftentimes in God's plan, it's those who are poor in this world who don't have a lot of money who actually become Christians. They put their trust in Christ. He doesn't look down on them and say, you have to be wealthy to be a Christian. No, it's often the poor that are rich in faith, I meaning they, they have a, a lot of trust in Jesus Christ. He doesn't look down on them. Look at verse 6. But you, you believers, by making this distinction, you've dishonored the poor man. Look down upon make other people laugh at, look less upon this poor individual. Now think about this. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The answer to that question would be yes. The rich individual, and this is now talking about potentially rich um, unbelievers, they were the ones who were oppressing the believers in the first century, doing wrong things. So are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The answer would be yes. And the ones who drag you into court, the answer to that would be yes. A lot of the rich individuals were dragging the poor Christians into the church and trying to take even more money away from them. So yes, yes, and this, verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? That's the name of Christ. They're not blaspheming, saying awful things about Christ. And the answer for the rich unbelievers in the first century would be yes. So see the irony in this, these rich person that walks into the church, they're showing special treatment towards, saying, oh, here, sit in the nice place. We're going to be kind and do good things to you. But think about it. Are not the rich people in this first century the ones that are actually doing harm to you guys? And not only that, harming you, but they're blaspheming the name of God, saying awful things about God. It's like, why are you showing them special treatment? overarching theme in this idea is not to show favoritism, not to show partiality. And what I want to make clear what favoritism is. I want you to write this down. This isn't the first point, but I want us to define favoritism. What is favoritism? What is partiality? I put it this way. Favoritism, showing special treatment, showing special treatment when there should be equal treatment given. I'll say that again. What is favoritism? Showing special treatment... That's what they did when the rich person walked in. Oh, special treatment, sit here in the front. When there should be equal treatment given. Think about it. Two new people walk into the church, they both should be treated equally. Even though one's got a lot of money and one doesn't have a lot of money, it's wrong for them and it's not right for them to say, oh, we're gonna treat the rich person better because they have a lot of money. No, rather they should receive equal treatment but that's not what's taking place here at this church in the first century. Hopefully it's not happening here, but I think sometimes it is. Now, Now that we've got the definition of favoritism, showing special treatment when there should be equal treatment given, what I want to make clear is favoritism is not having a best friend. Favoritism is not having a best friend. It's like, oh, well, if Favoritism is bad. and I got to treat everyone equally. That means I shouldn't have a best friend because I should treat everyone in uh, the narrow equally. All should be equal. Well, I'd say, yeah, if you're treating other people that aren't your best friend like trash, yes, that is a wrong thing. But you have this special relationship with this person that you deem your best friend. And so should equal treatment be given to everyone? It's like, no, because you've got that special relationship with this person. Let me give you another example favoritism is not, for those that are married, caring for their spouse. (laughs) It's like, oh, wait, because I shouldn't show favorites, so let's say me are going to get married soon. I should treat all ladies like how I'm treat Becca or else I'm showing favoritism. Say, no, that's not how it should work. And the ladies who are married should not treat all guys like their, their husbands. Oh, well, that's, that's favoritism. They're showing special treatment. The answer would be no. Yeah, if I was treating other ladies disrespectfully and poorly, that would be wrong. But no, there's this special relationship that uh, spouses have with one another where they're going to treat them differently. So that's why it's important in that definition. It's showing special treatment when there should be equal treatment given. There shouldn't be equal treatment given from a uh, husbands to not just their wives, but to all ladies. No, it shouldn't be the case. It's when there should be equal treatment given. And what's an example of when there should be equal treatment given? When a new person walks into the church, how do we treat them? We need to not play favorites, but treat others with care and respect regardless of what they look like, how much money they have, their status. Because we live in such a superficial society where we look at people and we already determine how we're going to treat them, oftentimes just based off how they look or how smart they are, these external features about them. I'll put it this way for point number one one thing we need to not do is don't focus on appearance. Don't focus on appearance. The temptation was that in the first century. They looked into these new people walking into the church, and they said, oh, man, I can tell just by looking at them, this person's rich and this person's poor. And guess what? The first century Christians, by and large, were poor people. So think about that temptation that they're facing. They don't have a lot of money, so they see this rich person walking in, and maybe they're thinking, man, if I'm, if I'm nice to this person, maybe I'm going to get some money. Maybe they'll pay for a meal or they'll do something good for me. And just by looking at them, they're thinking even selfishly there. A lot of favoritism comes out of self-centeredness. Oh, what can I get out of it? Oh, is something good going to happen for me? Just by looking at them. Don't treat people differently based off of external characteristics about them, by their looks. That's a way that we try to differentiate and treat people differently. Oh, how do they look? Oh, does that person, if they, if they look cool, they, they, they look pretty, like, oh, I'm going to treat them well. But oh, if they're not the prettiest, not, uh, not, don't look that cool, I'm going to treat them poorly. No, treat them equally. Some ways that we like to treat people differently based just off of appearances. people's looks is one way. The clothes that people wear, like, oh, that girl walked into the narrow, she's new, I can't believe she wore that, are you kidding me? I'm not going to talk to her. It's just weird that she would wear that. Is that what we're thinking in our minds? How about this? Making distinctions, treating people differently based off of their race or ethnicity? Do we do that? Based off of the money that people have, the stuff that they have, the power or status that they have the friends that they have, the personality, their intelligence, all these external things, do we say, oh man, if they're not just like me, I'm not really going to care about them. Because that's often what it what it comes down to. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't have my same interests. They don't have the same personality as me. They're kind of weird, kind of quirky. Yeah, I'm not going to care about them. I'm not going to be a friend to them. Saying, hey, that is showing Partiality. Whereas if someone did look like you, did talk like you, did have the same interests, did have the same personality, smart as you, you would treat them well. You'd look up to them. Oh wow, yeah, I want to be a friend to them. That person's cool. Aren't we, when we do that, doing the same thing that's taking place here in the first century? The answer to that is yes. We should care more about just external characteristics example that's often given about this is um, the nation of Israel. After Saul, who was the king at the time, uh, forfeited his position through disobeying God, God picks Samuel to pick a new king. And Saul goes to the house of Jesse and he's like, okay, it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse that's going to be the next king. And so what Samuel does is he looks at the external characteristics and what he does is he goes, okay, well, where's the oldest? Like, I'm going to go to the oldest. And in my mind, maybe, I don't know if in your mind, I picture like oldest being the tallest for some reason, then second oldest being second tallest and it kind of going down. So I don't know if that's just all like inclination in our mind, but um, don't know if that was the case, but that's how I like to picture it. So he goes to the oldest. He's like, oh man, it's the oldest, the tallest uh, in the Nathan Yeovachan version. Like goes in like, oh man, this guy, he must be the king that God wanted. God says, no, it's not him. So, okay, well, the second oldest, and Nathan versus the second tallest, like, it's got to be him. God says, no, he's not going to be the next king. Keep going down the line, down the line, down the line, so they get to who? Who's this next king? King David. Not very significant individual, but he says, no, I'm going to pick this guy named David to be the next king of Israel. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it makes clear that, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? Looks at the heart. Us as individuals, we're so quick to look at external characteristics, looks, outward appearance, as it's put in 1 Samuel 16. But God cares about our hearts. He cares more than just what we look like. And when we are interacting with other people, we should care way much a lot more than just what people look like. Once want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Over Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about that before him, he describes someone that he puts in this way, he describes him as that there's no one greater than this person. <laughs> that before Christ, this was the greatest person ever to exist. It's like, special guy, like, Like, think about that. Jesus described, imagine if that was you, as the greatest person up until this point. It's like, okay, this person's got to be pretty significant, pretty important, pretty awesome. Like, how would you picture, what would you picture this person that Jesus described as the greatest up until this point? Maybe you have these different visions or thoughts in your mind of how you would describe it. Well, if you know the, the Bible well, he's describing this guy named John the Baptist, In Matthew chapter 11, it tells us that John the Baptist wasn't super concerned about what he looked like. Um, Even when he's talking about, hey, Jesus describes to the crowd, hey, when you went out to go see John the Baptist preach, what did you expect to go see, this this person? What did you expect to see? Look in verse 8. He says, What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Did you think he was going to be wearing this big, nice robe, this fancy clothes? No, you didn't. Behold, Those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. It's like, you got nice clothes? You're a king. You're a ruler. You're over there. No, what then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. And he talks, goes on and says, a messenger who prepared the way. And we see in verse 11, he says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. It's like, if John the Baptist rolled into like our church today, we'd be like, why is he here? Like, it looks kind of (laughs) weird. Like, you know, there's rags not wearing the nicest stuff. Was John the Baptist so concerned about what he looked like? No. Was he so concerned even about like his physical appearance so he had to like stick to like a really regimented and strict and healthy diet? (laughs) No. If you remember, he ate wild locusts and honey. Talk about like not being super concerned, looking like this crazy dude. Like, but he wasn't concerned about that. That wasn't his focus. He didn't, oh, i got to look a certain way, make sure I appear. No, he was there to prepare the way for Christ. Now, do we care so much and focus, maybe care about our appearance? That could be an aspect of it. But also the appearance of other people and making distinction. I'm going to treat this person less because uh, they, don't, they don't look the exact same way as I do. We should care about other people, regardless of what they look like, because they're made in the image of God. Genesis one twenty seven talks that, in the beginning, he created them male and female. He created them that were made in God's image. Whether you're a guy or a girl, that's even a way that it's easy for us to make distinctions. Like, okay, if you're a girl, you got to sit on this side, and you're a guy, you got to sit on this side. Oh, wait, that's actually what I, like, like, Thankfully, it's not like, it'd be like if the guys had like nice seats over here and then the girls had like lowly seats over. It's like, whoa, what? Like, that's weird. Thankfully, you're sitting in the same seats. But like, no, even though there's distinction, we look differently. Guys and girls are different. And guess what? You look different than the guy next to you. And girl, you look different than the girl sitting next to you. Guess what? What's something that's unanimous about everyone in this room? We're all made in the image of God. Because being made in the image of God is not looking a certain way. It's bigger than that. And we should care about other people because we are special. We're different than the animals. You're different than your dog. You're different than your cat. You're more valuable in God's eyes because you're made in his image. And we should care about other people because they are made in God's image. Where favoritism comes out is this idea of selfishness. One proverb that stands out to me is Proverbs 28, 21. It puts it very simply. To show partiality, it says, is not good. (laughs) Like, Very simple. Show partiality is not good. Oh, great. Thank you for that. Uh, Like, But it goes on. It says, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. Think about it. But for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. Well, what wrong might be referred to? Showing partiality. So I'm going to treat someone a certain way. Why? Because maybe I'm going to get some bread out of it. That's the idea of getting something good out of it. So I'm gonna treat this person differently because there might be something good that comes out for me. I'm gonna treat the cool person that walks into the narrow that's brand new and I can tell, man, that's a cool person. I'm gonna treat them and I'm gonna be a friend to them as opposed to the person that walks in that's new and looks kind of weird because guess what? If I'm a friend to them, maybe that's gonna make me look cooler. Maybe people wanna be more friends with me because, oh man, I'm friends with them and wow, I'm gonna get something good out of it. Showing partiality, showing favoritism, showing special treatment when equal treatment should be had. It's not good. How do you treat the new people that walk into this ministry when they walk into the narrow? Oh, well, I'm hanging out with my friends, so I'm not even going to talk to them. I'm just going to leave them out there. They're just going to stand over there awkwardly by the smoothie bar by themselves. Is that what happens? while you're playing ping pong, playing basketball in the gym outside of today, uh, throwing footballs, playing volleyball in the courtyard, talking with your friends, I'm just going to leave them all by themselves. Because guess what? If a famous celebrity walked into the narrow, if that person that you picture in your mind, that famous person that you've always wanted to meet, say like, Steph Curry walks into the narrow, Dude, perfect walks into the narrow. like that famous singer, a famous actor, that YouTuber. Like, picture that person in your mind that you'd be like, "This is the person I would pick to like go to lunch." Like, if there's one person on earth that like I'd love to meet one day, this is the person. Picture them. They walk into the narrow as a new person. I mean, I bet you're not gonna just oh yeah, I'm I'm just playing ping pong, whatever. Who cares? I'm gonna ignore them. Oh, I'm playing basketball, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Steph Curry just walked in, Blah. whatever. No, you, if you, like, got past, like, the nerves of, like, oh, man, they just, like, walk in? Like, wow, that's so, so cool. You're going to go talk to them. Like, hey, can I get a picture with you? Like, oh, man, like, uh, can you sign, sign my shirt? Like, I don't, I don't have anything. Like, oh, man, I want to be a friend. Like, you do anything after church? Like, we could go get lunch. Like, you would treat them so well. Now, why is that any different than just any other new person that walks into the narrow? That right there is where we see favoritism and partiality take place here in this ministry. Say, oh, yeah, in the first century, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't if someone was rich, give them a nice seat, and poor, give them a poor seat. But depending on who walks in that door, we're treating them differently. It's favoritism. It's partiality. should be treated equally. You should... When someone new walks into this ministry, you should treat them as if it is that famous celebrity that walks that walked in. Like, obviously, you're not going to be like, "Hey, can you sign my shirt?" And the person new person is like, "What? Like, <laughs> weird, weirdo, get out of here. Uh, I'm not coming back to this weird ministry." But like, you're going to go talk to them, be a friend, invite them to do whatever you typically do, or just leave them out to dry. Say, "Oh, go stand over there by yourself." Wow, what does that go back to? Verse three. You stand over there. Or can we show Christ-like care to all people? You should put yourself in the shoes of the new person that walks into this ministry. Whether you, maybe some of you guys are new to this ministry, new to the narrow, or new to this church, and you've experienced that what it's like coming in as a new person, and you've Known that awkwardness of like, oh man, like, what am I going to do? It's kind of weird standing here. Like, I don't know anybody. It's kind of awkward. Like, you've experienced that, you know, and you're like, man, I just wish someone would come talk to me or like, like, I wouldn't be all by myself. Um, But I think a lot of us in this room have been here at Compass for a while or been in the narrow for as long as they remember. You have all these friends, so you forget what it's like to have that experience of walking in, not knowing anybody, and be like, is anyone even going to talk to me today? What you should do is what you would wish that others would do to you. That's the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I mean, unless you're so introverted that you like, wish you didn't have any friends, like if you were a new person walking in, you would hope that someone would talk to you. And that it wouldn't just be one of the leaders whose responsibility is to go and talk to the new person. You'd be like, oh, well, I know that they're supposed to do that. But it'd be someone that, man, someone that's my age that actually cares about me. Should not show partiality, not show favoritism. One of the reasons why an explanation is given in James 2, verse 5. Let's read that verse again. It says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. It's like, d- did God care for those who are poor in this world? It's the people, that, the poor in the world, it's talking literally about people who don't have a lot of money. Does God care for those people? Absolutely. He doesn't look down upon, doesn't think any less of them. He wasn't partial towards the rich. Like, oh yeah, well, the rich people, those are the ones that are going to be... No, no, he didn't. He cared about those that were poor. He didn't show favoritism. Put it like this for point number two. One reason we should not be impartial, and we need to remember that God is impartial. Remember, God is impartial. There's a couple ways where we can make clear that God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't show preferential treatment. How about this? The way of salvation common verse we all know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if the rich would believe in him, they will not perish and have eternal life. You remember that? Memorizing that, that verse in Awana? Yeah, if the rich would believe in him, they would not perish and have having... eternal No. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if men would believe in him, they will not perish and have eternal life. Sorry, ladies. You remember that verse? Yeah? The ladies didn't memorize that. That was just the guy version. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if you're over 21 and believe in him, you will not perish and have eternal life. Like, you, 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 see the, you see the point I'm trying to make? That whoever would believe in him should not perish and have eternal life. God didn't say you had to be this smart. God didn't say you got to be this nationality. God didn't say you got to be this old. Whoever would believe in him. Talk about impartiality right there. Not on the basis of knowledge, not on the basis of ability, not even this, not on the basis of goodness. Goodness. How, how, how well I obey versus disobey. No. Only by Christ alone. Does it mean that God treats everyone equally? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that God loves the world, but treating equally, does everyone get to go to heaven? No. It's like, oh, well, well God, God's showing partiality there. He's showing favoritism because some people get to go to heaven. Other, other people get to go to hell. Isn't that favoritism by God? That's not fair of God to do that. Say, well, let's look at Scripture and say, well, man, do we deserve to go to heaven? Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans goes on, wages of sin is death. That is what we all deserve. Separation from God. Punishment for our sins. But Romans 5.8 talks about that he showed his kindness to make a way for us to be saved. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died for sinners. He cared for us. We should be thankful that God cares for the weak and the insignificant in this world. A passage that talks about that I want you to turn to is 1 Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. God didn't say you had to, if you're rich, you can only be a Christian if you're rich, or if you're poor, only be a Christian. If you're, be, you got to be poor. But oftentimes in God's sovereign plan, it's those who don't have a lot of earthly possessions. Those who don't have the most significant status, the ones that aren't the most powerful are the ones who actually repent and put their trust in Christ. The ones who don't have a lot of material possessions, the poor in the world, those are the ones who often are right with God. Repent, put their trust in Christ. 1 Corinthians sorry, 1, verse 27, drop down to verse 27, talks about this. It says, but God chose... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Saying, hey, oftentimes those that put their trust in Christ, they're what? Foolish, weak, low, despised. Well, does that mean that someone who's wise can't become a Christian? Does this mean that someone that's strong can't become a Christian? Someone who's not lowly, someone who's not despised, does that mean that they it can't become a Christian because you've got to be lowly, you've got you to be despised, you've you got to be weak? No, it's saying oftentimes it's the lowly who put their trust in Christ because guess what? The wealthy, the powerful, they're trusting in their stuff. They think, I've got it all set. I've got it all figured out. I don't need to add God into this equation. I don't need it. They rely on themselves, but the lowly say, man, the, the foolish in the world, not even just saying that they're the, the stupid people, that's not what it's saying, it's saying that the world would say, oh man, that person's foolish because they believe in God. No, God cares for those that the world would say they're insignificant, we don't care about them, and why in God's sovereign plan would oftentimes He choose those who are weak and insignificant in this world? We'll keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's it right there. So we might boast in the presence of God. So that Christians couldn't walk around and say, Oh, you know why I'm right with God? Because I, I was just smarter than everyone else. Because I was just better than everyone else. I just knew more. I was strong. Like, saying, like, No. Only thing that you had to offer to the table is that you're a sinner, needing to be saved. God didn't save the rich because they're rich. God didn't save the smart because they're smart. God doesn't save based on that. It's only out of his mercy and his love, his care. We're all sinners deserving of punishment, but yet he would care for us as weak, insignificant, sinful people and make a way for us to be saved through Christ. Lastly, look at James chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. says, but you have dishonored the poor man. They didn't care about them. They neglected this poor individual. He reminds them, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? We said the answer to that is yes. And the ones who drag you into court? Yes. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Yes. By these Christians showing preferential treatment to these rich individuals, these rich individuals, the ones that are Dishonoring Christians, and worse than that, they're dishonoring Christ, blaspheming the name of Christ. It's like not good things. So why are you showing this special favor towards people that are dishonoring God's people and dishonoring God? It's like that's antithetical. You should honor God and honor those that are honorable to God, those that honor God. I put it this way: point number three: honor Christ. By honoring his people. Honor Christ for honoring his people. The rich people, the rich unbelievers in the first century were were harming the believers and also being disrespectful to God. And so, ultimately, by honoring those people, you're dishonoring Christ because you're uplifting these people that are doing awful things. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Is that really pleasing to God? No, honor his people, those that are his let me put it this way. Imagine if my best friend had a pet and they were going on vacation and they said, oh, Nathan, you care a lot about me, so can you take care of of my pet dog for for me? Um, How many of you guys have a pet dog or a a pet in general? Okay. Um, And so like, okay, they reached out to me because I really care about my best friend. So the task is to, to care for this dog. Now imagine if this trip that they went on, that that entire week of the trip, I did not visit the dog, I did not feed the dog, I did not give the dog any water, and I didn't even think about the dog. Did nothing. You'd be like, wow, well, first animal control is going to come after you, Nathan. Like, Like, that's messed up. That's not right, Nathan. That's not a good thing. Now, if that's what I did, would I be able to say that I really care about my best friend? No. Because if I cared about them, guess what I would also do? I care for their pet. I do a great job. I check in on that animal. I would care for the dog, Fluffy. Um, pet him and say, oh, cute dog. Like, give us some Like, if I really cared about them, I would care about the thing that they care about. Well, so too, if we honor God, we're going to care for his children going to care for his bride, his people, believers? Oftentimes, we treat unbelievers better than we treat believers. (laughs) Maybe you treat your friends at school better than people that you treat here in the narrow. Are we not caring for his people? We not care? Do we cater so much to non-Christians that we dishonor God by putting down his people? Let me give you one verse on this, Galatians 6.10. It says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Saying, hey, you got opportunity, do good to everyone. But it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There should be a special concern and care for believers. Wait, Nathan, does that mean I shouldn't care for non-Christians? No, that's not what I'm saying. We should care for non-Christians. But there should be a special care for believers. Now, right there, what you're thinking is, isn't that partiality? Isn't that favoritism? I'm showing special treatment to Christians, and I'm going to treat them and care for them differently than how I'm treating unbelievers. Isn't that the whole point of what you're saying, Nathan? Not what we're supposed to do. Let me illustrate it this way. Christmas time is coming up, right? and you gotta buy Christmas presents for people. And so, picture Nathan, I go, and I buy a present for my fiance Rebecca. And then I go, and I buy a present for my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and I'm like, okay, did a good job in in buying them all presents. Now, imagine you guys all come into the narrow, and you're like, Nathan, where's my present? Exactly! (laughs) And everyone comes up to me and saying, Nathan, you're showing favoritism. You're giving this, this presents to Becca and to your family. That's not right. That's unfair. You're showing favoritism. Whoa. Claiming it should, everyone should get the same, same gifts. Nathan, you should get everybody in the entire world. Everybody should get the same gift from you, Nathan, because that would not be showing partiality. Once again, I want to go back to the definition of favoritism. Showing special treatment when there should be equal treatment given. Saying, hey, no, I've got this special relationship with my fiancé. Got this special relationship with my family where I'm going to get them gifts. And sorry, guys, I'm not going to get you gifts. Because <laughs> there's not an equal claim. not a, a shouldn't be an equal opportunity for the gifts. This is what would be partiality. If I said, hey, I got everyone in the narrow a, a present. Everyone. But all the guys' small groups... They all got $100 each, and all the girls' small group, sorry, I gave you my leftovers of lunch yesterday. You'd be like, that's not right. We all should be given equal treatment if you're given everyone in the narrow presence. That's showing preferential treatment. But that's different than your family, those people you have a special relationship with, and just, oh, everyone in the narrow and everyone in the world. I think even by that simple analogy, you understand the point. That, hey, we as believers have this special relationship with each other where there is supposed to be a special concern even given to believers. And I know that that seems like totally antithetical to this entire message that we've been talking about, not showing partiality. And I just want to show you that there's a lot of nuance even, a lot of nuance with that. That, yes, do you treat non-Christians like garbage No, absolutely that would be wrong. But should there be a level of care and concern that takes place in the body of Christ that's different than the rest of the world? I think Galatians 6.10 would be case and point for that. Let's do good to everyone. That's not saying I'm gonna treat my non-Christians bad and Christians good, but no, especially a special concern for those are the household of faith. Well, when it comes to the narrow, you don't know who is a Christian. So are you going to go around and expecting like, huh, are you a Christian? Because if so, I've got to treat you a little bit better than the other person. You're going around with like, "Here, oh, who's there? It's like, no, don't do that. Don't be the weirdo. Like, <laughs> don't be that guy um, or girl. Uh, like, that'd be weird. No, don't need to go around trying to be like Christian detector. Like, no, just if you treat everybody well, it won't be a problem. Treat people here in the narrow Well, be a friend to others, branch out of your friend circles, welcome new people into your group. If there's one thing that I want us to walk away from this message with is when that new person comes into this ministry, do we, oh, let me see what they look like, and then I'm going to see if I'm going to talk to them or not. When that new person walks in, oh, what are they like? Uh, yeah, no, no, this place should be a welcoming place. It should be a place that cares for new people that come in. I mean, I pray that on Wednesday, new people come. And guess what? I think providentially, there are going to be new people that come this Wednesday at TNN. Are we going to forget about this message by the time we get to Wednesday, like you often do with other sermons? Next week, when we walk into the narrow, Saturday or Sunday, are we going to forget about this? Because there are going to be new people. And how are we going to treat them? We're gonna honor them as Christ would want us to. We're gonna care for them as Christ wants us to, or are we gonna disregard them? I mean, I was joking with a leader last night. Like, how cool would it be as if, on Wednesday, a new person walks in, and then like there's a horde of like sixty people like running over to them, like <laughs> a new person? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> now that might be a little bit of an overkill. <laughs> where just like oh, these people are just. But wouldn't you rather? Have someone say, oh man, like I don't really want to go back to the narrow because like everyone was just so friendly and so welcoming as opposed to I don't want to go back to the narrow because nobody talked to me, no one cared for me. I'd rather have the first and the second. And we so oftentimes are way far on the second that I'd rather us overcorrect in the here and now and say we're going to go to the above and beyond side. So let's do that this Wednesday. Let's do that this next week. Let's be better about caring for those, no matter what they look like, no matter what their appearance is, because God doesn't care about it, neither should we. So we're gonna honor others who are made in the image of God and show that selfless and sacrificial love that's not only demonstrated by God, but in the second person of God and Jesus Christ in dying for our sins. Let's pray together. Yes, God, I ask that we would be selfless and sacrificial towards other people. God, even as a huge focus of the sermon was, how do we interact with and care for and welcome new people? Help this to be a welcoming ministry. We know it's not just a welcoming ministry if the leaders are caring, but it really comes down to the students. So help everyone in this room to take the onus on themselves to say, I am going to make the narrow a place that cares for every person that comes in, no matter what they look like. Help us to put that into practice this week. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.